Hello and welcome to episode four of the Marathon Bet Boot Room to Boardroom and Everything in Between podcast with me, Danny Kelly. My name is Simon Jordan. Hi, Simon. Hello, matey. Good to be here. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, this week, we've got a whole new thing to talk about. The idea of change, whether it's rules, whether it's the way tournaments are arranged, everything to do with football, which, of course, although it appears to be the same sport it was 150 years ago, is in fact very different. Everything changes, and you're going to get your chance to hear myself and Simon discuss the change that's already been happening and also what we would change about the game. It should be a belter. And here's what's coming up. I mean, I can understand why the 39th game was jumped on by La Liga and by Serie A and all those leagues because they can't sell it the way that we can sell the Premier League. And how much did David Henry look like a headmaster when he's refereeing And how, and how much did he behave like one, by the way, as well? I had a few run-ins with him, I can assure you. If Spurs are playing Crystal Palace, well, let's mm-hmm. get personal with this, <laughs> I would expect the Spurs will get the thick no, end let of that decisions. Slide. I'm going to let no, that no, slide. No, no, but yeah, yeah, sure. I don't understand how what they bid for and what they've now got has manifested itself in a World Cup in November. It's fundamentally wrong. I don't know what you think. Influence and power, and I believe corruption. The chairman comes out onto the pitch at the end of the game with a wheelbarrow with £7 million in it in notes, right? Goalkeeper, how did he do? Give him 2% of the pot. Man of the match, he was brilliant. Give him 60% of the pot. You were useless. Nothing this week. That's great, Dan. I think that's a trip down uh, Amnesia Lane for the loons (laughs) around us. We're on the cusp of two things, the introduction of VAR and a World Cup in the winter Mm -hmm. in a part of the world that has no connection with football traditionally. Let's talk about some of those things. I want to say the biggest change I can remember in football, I suppose three points for a win was huge, but VAR is going to fundamentally change, I think, the way we watch and understand football. First of all, were you for it? Very much so. I mean, I know it divides opinion. And I know that people have a perspective on it that the purists or certain elements of what people think is pure about football is the manner in which it ebbs and flows. I have never been of the school of thought that it's quaint to have jumpers for goalposts. I think football is the biggest sport in the world. And I remember writing articles back in 2005 for The Observer about this mentality and imploring Lord Voldemort of football, um, Sepp Blatter, Blatter, to try and, and introduce goal line technology to change the direction of travel to, you know, tennis and cricket. And these sports were eliminating human error. And I don't think it's quaint. I think people's lives are changed. Football clubs' direction of travel is influenced by key decision-making processes. The introduction of the media having 360 degrees, seven days a week, 24-hour access, and the scrutiny and the pressure that's brought to bear on decisions for both referees and for players and the consequences to managers means that this game is entitled to have proper 21st century joined-up digital thinking. And that has to include, first and foremost, thank the love of God, this couldn't have been a difficult one to introduce goal line technology, but it took forever and a day, Dan. And then secondly, Well, think about it, there were kids, there were teenagers wandering around with GPS tracking Mm. on their mobile phones before we could do the simplest version of that in a football ground. Yeah, I know. I mean, I I believe Kenny Sampson, the old Arsenal and Palace player, was very heavily involved with some technology back in the day that was dealing with goal line technology. And if you look back on the events that unfold that determine our destiny, Frank Lampard in the 2010 World Cup. It's a goal. It's a goal. (laughs) And, And I just think that we as a sport and as viewers are entitled to see it in its best form. Now, that doesn't mean that VAR should be brought in in a clunky, unwieldy, game-interrupting, not acknowledging the circumstance in which professional football is played, but it needs to be there. I've got into trouble with this over the years because, to me, so much has changed about the game. They used to play in great big hobnail boots that went above the ankle. Their crossbar was a piece of string. 
everything has changed except for one thing, the man running the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without doing a history lesson, football is invented in Victorian England, or football as we understand it, yeah. is invented in Victorian England, where everybody kowtows to authority, the church and the army and your local MP and your local employer. They're all... That kowtowing, that tugging in the forelock, it's yeah. over. And referees became little gods on the pitch. And that has to change. And I... I've been banging on for 10 years now. Now, my ultimate aim would be to mm. take them out of the game completely. I know people think I'm an idiot. And in fact, they think I'm insane. But I'd take them out of the game altogether if I could. Referees? Yeah, if I could. Right. Um, okay. You know, Replace them how? With, with drones? T- with, with kind of drone referees yeah. technologies. Okay. Uh, but at the moment, uh, I'll, I'll settle for VAR because I think this wouldn't be happening if the officials were better. What do you think about this standard of officiating in well, general? I, I think it wouldn't be happening if football hadn't sold its soul in some respects to the broadcasters. Now, I don't mean that in a derisory term towards the broadcasters because I think what Sky has done as the key broadcaster, certainly visual, has changed football beyond all recognition and taken it on a completely different journey. It was always the world's greatest sport, but it's now the world's greatest entertainment business. And I think that their scrutiny... And the manner in which you can see everything in 3D coming out of any device that you want it to, from mobile telephony to television screens, obviously, has put great pressure on referees. And I don't think the facilitation of support for referees has met the burden that TV and its scrutiny has put upon the game of sport now. And of course, the speed. Pitches have changed. When we look back on the days when Billy Bremner or Johnny Giles played in the 70s with that great Leeds team and Norman Hunter and the whole manner of way the football has evolved. Ploughing their way through what's essentially a field you know, even, rather than yeah, a, a billiard table even you have the, now. Even the tech that's involved in the players' football boots has evolved to such a level that everything is built for speed. And you wonder, I wonder, you know, you look at police officers that are trained to drive on an advanced driver's course. But that's driving at high speed. And you wonder if the involvement of refereeing has reached that standard. Although I do say, if you look at the referees back in the 70s, with the greatest respect to George Courtney or to Jack Taylor, the physicality of a referee now bears the resemblance of an athlete's. Howard they even Webb. have their own cones at the start, don't yeah, they? Yeah, and, they, and you know, there is a degree of far more professionalism about refereeing, but I still think there's some way to go. But I'm not in the camp, Dan, that you are in, which is that the refereeing is a standard that's decreased or is markably worse. I actually think with the pace of the game, the direction of travel is on the ascent. I think referees more often than not get it right. Right. We'll disagree here, but not in the, in the way you think we will. Yeah. I, I, they're definitely fitter. And they get a lot of things right. My problem has always been that they're human beings, and I want the contest between. I want it between twenty-two humans. Referees keep saying to me, "Ah, oh, but players make mistakes, so why can't I?" Yeah. Am I? Hang on, I'm paying to watch that contest. But, but players' mistakes are enforced upon them by other players trying to be competitive in a scenario to prevent them from doing something. And here's my real thing: the thing that the two things I absolutely do. You think hate. the rules, Dan? Do you think the change of the rules has determined the direction of? perspective around referees' performances. No, I, th- I think that that's the next big challenge to football. Mm. Television was part of that. Now that we can see exactly what's going on in slow motion and from dozens of angles. And secondly, VAR will mean that we will have to rewrite the rules. Now, one of the great joys of football is that the rules are very simple, by and large. But now, with VAR, we're going to have to decide what actually is handball. Yeah. What do you mean by deliberate and all the rest of it? Yeah. This all happened a little bit in American football when they introduced the replays and then realised that the rules weren't fit for purpose. Now, 
Here's the problem. Rewriting the rules of football, which are simple, is actually time-consuming and difficult work, and it's going to require some brain power. And my experience of professional football is, if it requires hard work and brain power, why would we do it? The money keeps pouring in. Why should we do it? But they're going to have to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think the football fraternity is, you know, synonymous with slow change and is renowned for slow change. It's like an ocean liner. They don't turn quickly. And I think that there is an element of that. But I think the rules, as a matter of course, I don't look at the rules and say there is a, a real fundamental need for that much change. They've changed certain foibles and facets of it. But I don't look at it and go as a former owner and as a football fan and as a person that has a, a voyeuristic view on sports across all the different pantheons of sports. I don't look at football and say, this isn't fit for purpose anymore. No. I don't look at the rules and say, because I think we've now got football that's all about goals. You know, It's all about offensive play. Tackling's being taken out of the game. What I would be curious to see your view on professional athletes or professional footballers becoming referees because what we're getting to now is the interpretation and understanding. People like Neil Warnock are regularly doing it saying, these guys don't get the game. They don't understand it. Well, in the theory, that is the perfect solution. You get some player who hasn't quite made it at a club, but he knows how how Mm. the the movements of players and what's more important, the movement between players. he knows what's going on in the mind of a player. He has much more chance than than somebody who's come out of being a policeman who often turns out to be referees and things like that. And it's, or a headmaster like David I, Ellery. I suspect. Well, I didn't yeah, much I, well, like, by the and, way. And how much did David Ellery look like a headmaster when he's refereeing And how, and how much did he behave like one, by the way, as well? I had a few run-ins with him, I can assure you. I think that it would be beneficial to the game. The problem is, forgive me, if you're sitting in an office or listening to this podcast earning the national average wage, is persuading footballers of almost mm. any level to take the pay cut yeah. that will be required in becoming a referee. And also... I know how refereeing works. It takes about eight years to get from uh, your local recreational park mm. into the championship even. They'd have to fast-track somebody. Yeah, they would. But, but they did it with young Michael Oliver. They recognised there was a tremendously talented referee and he was in the Premier League football, very quickly. Football, Danny, as we both know, certainly at the elite level of football, is awash with money. And the idea that the refereeing protocol or standards should be diminished because there isn't a fast track opportunity or there isn't a financial incentive. First of all, I think top class referees are very well remunerated now. I think we're talking about serious six figure money now if you're a top class referee, which with respect to League One or League Two players, it will be significantly greater than they're going to earn. And it's a challenging one because there is this new dynamic that people are looking at the intent behind an action, the intent behind a foul, the intent behind a handball, the intent behind an injury, whether it be a head injury or something of that nature, that referees are being not able to understand because they don't get the dynamics again. It's another thing we can disarm managers and the mythical world of football from. Yes, of course. If it could be ex-athletes who understand the way uh, player X Moves. falls to the ground, Moves, yeah. is that a natural yeah. movement caused by contact in the box or is it a feigned movement that he's making up. Actually, Simon, the reason why I really got into in my mind, having watched the game for decades, why I really got into we must sort out the refereeing was this. I have seen at Tottenham, where the club I happen to support, yeah. and you all have felt the other thing. The home team gets huge advantage from the referee in many games I've watched. The bigger team, if Spurs are playing Crystal Palace, but let's mm-hmm. get personal with this, <laughs> I would expect the Spurs will get the thick no, end of the decisions. Slide. I'm going to let no, no, that slide. No, no, but yeah, yeah, sure. But no, all right. Yeah. But I think Spurs will get the thick end of the decisions. We'll, we'll get the better end of the decisions. And I spoke to Stuart Robson, the former Arsenal and West Ham yeah. captain, about this. And I once said to him, what is it with home advantage? The pitches are the same. The balls are the same. He said, Danny, 
the crowd just gets the, the referee crowd. to give yeah. you decisions. Interesting, though. I mean, obviously, technology played a part in this. But in the most recent Champions League game between Man United and PSG, where a key decision, I mean, an absolute fundamental decision, that VAR could not give a clear, concise view on, even to that point where the referee... That was a home crowd. That the referee's decision was not influenced by a home crowd. The technology becomes a witness, though. You can't just make up the decision. There's no, evidence. No, but he still had to interpret it, and he interpreted yep. it in favour of Manchester United as the away side. And I think it's also about characters of referees in those situations. If you've got a referee of a very robust mentality, sometimes too much, because sometimes referees, in my experience, want to be the stars of the show. And as you sort of alluded to, you know, the game's about the 22 players, and the referee should be a Almost, we should be oblivious to the referee and he shouldn't be changing the if course of the game. If I can't get rid of them, at least make them wear a full bodysuit and a mask so you can't tell who they are, so mm. they can't become personalities in their own right. I don't need that. So, I don't know, Dan. I disagree to some extent. because yeah, I this think is how our shows work, though, isn't I it? think there's a fundamental component of football where, that we're missing, which is the referee's opinion, the referee's agenda, the referee's accountability, the referee's responsibility, the referee's answerability. And I think that is a real key component to the game that's being missed. And I'm surprised it's being missed by the broadcasters. I'm surprised it's being missed by football per se, because referees are now front and centre in so many things, whether we like it or we don't. And they're going to be even more front and centre with the call for VAR and what they do with VAR, because it's going to be those guys that are looking at VAR, calling for it, and then making decisions about it, even if they aren't being advised by the panel upstairs that you should be looking at that. Placing a bet? It's exhausting running around looking for the best odds. Don't waste your breath. It's time you check Marathon Bet. Before you place your acker this week, check Marathon Bet first. You may find we're best priced. And better odds mean bigger winnings. Download the Marathon Bet app or visit marathonbet.co.uk. 18plusbgambleware.org. Television has completely transformed football. Yep. It brought the money for a start. Yep. And then it insisted that it was a more attacking game, played on proper pitches and all the rest of it. Yep. And VAR is the next step forward. I wonder how much further we can go with television. And for instance, I'm amazed that we don't have access to dressing rooms before mm. and after football matches. I'm amazed that the officials... Because there's not, not a lot going on in there, Dan. That's what I have to be told sometimes. Well, just sitting there staring at each other, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. I don't understand why the referees don't come out afterwards and speak That's about my point. it. And I don't understand why at least somebody on the pitch isn't mic'd up to add to the drama. I mean, I wonder how much further we could go down the route of making football a television event. I don't know about that. I mean, I, certainly referees are now mic'd up to be able to communicate amongst themselves, to communicate with the assistant referees or the fourth official, which, by the way, I've never got, you know, and never understood the, the parameters punch, of the fourth official. Bag for the besides listening to the managers talk nonsense for most of the 90 minutes that they're standing in the technical area. I'm not sure that for the spectacle, there has to be something about the integrity of things where things aren't played out for an audience. Because I think if you start getting referees to be visible in their commentary, explicitly in football because I think football is a unique island with the best win in the world when all the money in the world lands in rugby I think some of the corrosive and corruptive elements of football will start to pollute that sport as well because I think money and people's perception and the fact that they are stars they're rock and roll stars now footballers and if you start hearing the thoughts you'll start I believe with certain personalities and I think Ellery would have been one of them and Halsey would have been another that they'll start playing to the gallery and that gallery being TV audiences. And, sure. I've, and that, that concerns me. I'm going against me. my own argument there. That concerns I? me yeah. a little bit, that perspective. Did you ever sit through a football match and think this is bent? 
I didn't think it was bent. I just felt that the standard of officiating was beneath the level of acceptability because I was always one of those people, as I'm sure you are, that could never understand the idea that a Premier League manager does a stinking, appalling job in the Premier League. That the reward for someone in the Championship trying to get in the Premier League is to get that referee the oh, following week because he's been hateful. relegated. I, I never, I never got that. And I just think that ultimately, the ideas of poor performance should mean you get to take a back seat for a while rather than be foisted upon someone else. This game is equally important, but for different reasons and of course then you get the the worst part of that is they're already of a household name the referee because they've been in the Premier League mm. so they're even more likely to want to act the yeah, star and the out, diva yeah. Yeah. In, in, a, in, a, in a championship game we'll come back to the only rules you want to change I'm just thinking about the wider world now where you know we're talking about change in football we've got a real change coming very very soon a World Cup yeah. in Asia a World Cup in the winter a World Cup in a country not normally associated with football now look the days when it was carved up between Europe and South America, right through the 70s and even the early 80s, was completely wrong. Yeah, and rightly so it's wrong. But this is not right, Dan. This Qatar World Cup is not right. And I'm not just sitting here because it's Middle Eastern money and, and so on and so forth. But the integrity of certain things should stand the test of time. And I don't understand how what they bid for and what they've now got has manifested itself in a World Cup in November in conditions that are just not what was sold for the bid. And I just think it's fundamentally wrong. I don't know what you think, but I think it's absolutely deplorable. Look, I think it's, it's influence and power. And I believe corruption. I believe corruption and it's sure. proven to be on the cards and on the thinking of people around these World Cup bids, the last two. I look at it, I think it's appalling. We've been talking about changes, and they, they come out of the, the rules-making, and then the FIFA itself will try and change something. Some of the ideas that come up, though, is interesting how quickly they get jumped on. The most extraordinary response I think I've ever seen. I mean, I don't. if they said that the referees were going to referee the games naked, there would have been less response than when they suggested that in this country, the Premier League should have a 39th game of the season played abroad. Mm. What was your reaction to that? And were you surprised by the absolute opprobrium and vitriol that was pulled on that idea? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can understand why the 39th game was jumped on by La Liga and by Serie A and all those leagues because they can't sell it the way that we can sell the Premier League. And they recognise that the economics behind the Premier League are like a juggernaut. There's something unique about football in this country. I know that most of the participants in it are now are foreigners, right? But still the clubs are ours to some extent. And there's something indomitable about this island spirit that's been able to produce a Premier League. And the, the manner in which English clubs are supported, the manner in which our national team is supported, the manner in which we support sport in this country, there's something unique about it. So the idea that we would take our product, which is better than everybody else's by a sure. country mile, and find a way to prostitute it in other countries, I don't think sits well. And it goes into the territory of Super Leagues. And you currently hear the guys at Juventus because they want to get more revenue because they can't keep pace with the elite league financially, which is ours. No wonder we resist it. Absolutely. And if you want an example of the pure beauty of what happens in these very small islands, the playoffs from the National League will produce a new member of the Football League. They've never been there before. It will be the 145th club 
to have made it to the full professional league. You tell that to people in Italy. We've got 145 clubs in historically a big Danny, professional. this is unique. And you look at Another our... Another 40 in Scotland. And you look at our championship, it's the second or third supported league in European football. We kick backside and take numbers in this country on football and the rest of the world look at us with envy and we don't need to give them a leg up by taking our product. We can broadcast to them and take their dough and support our English league, but we don't need to take games to them. No, and I think uh, absolutely right. Uh, they can come and fly in any time they like to see yeah. English football. They don't need to be watching it in their own backyard. Spreading the word of football around the world, of course, is part of FIFA's self-appointed mandate. mandate. I, I get that. People of my age will remember the first World Cup in Mexico in 70, which transformed the world's view of football. We saw colour pictures for the first time yeah. of brilliant sunshine, football not being played on ploughed fields in drizzle, people playing football in beautiful sunshine in yellow and green shirts, and it was amazing. Then it went to South Africa, and everyone said that wasn't going to be any good, but it was a fantastic World yeah. Cup. And I've been to World Cups in different continents and all the rest of it, but the Japan. guitar thing... Fantastic. My dad went to Japan, went all the way through to the World Cup final and watched it, you know, from the, and saw fantastic things. And, and you're absolutely right. This is something different. Well, for a start, let's be straightforward about this. FIFA at that time, and I can't speak for now, but I'm speaking because I, because they have all been suspended or sacked, yeah. was ranked from top to bottom. Their main organising committee was bent from, and yeah. have all been sacked. And some of them, of course, are in prison. And are in prison, yeah. in prison yeah. for, for doing it. We all know... When the Qataris gave out the average temperature in the summer, we all know that for every previous World Cup, you do that from sunrise to sunset. Mm -hmm. But they include the nighttime temperatures yep. as well to get the average down. Yep. Never mind the, the spectators and how they're going to cook in the stadium. Players. The yep. players are out on the pitch. And we know why it went there, Simon, because yep. there is just an enormous amount of money swilling around that part of the world. Yep. And people were influenced by it. Yep. The, Bought and paid for. Is that the phrase I'm looking for? Yeah, I think so. Um, with my learned friends. And the fact that we've now had to move it to the middle of the football season for most of the important leagues around the world yeah. just goes to show that they would, they'll do. When it happened, I was on air when the decision was made for Russia and then Qatar to get the World Cups. And I was grinding my teeth on air saying, this isn't right. Yeah. This isn't right for a number of reasons. But I did say, I don't believe a football will ever be kicked in Qatar. I now believe that it will be kicked oh, in no, Qatar because, because they've made do. such efforts to yeah. make sure it goes through absolutely. there. Absolutely, but this is not what was advanced. And the World Cup, I know everything changes, mm -hmm. but there are some things that should stay the same. And, and I'm not a traditionalist. I'm not an establishment person. In fact, I'm the antithesis of that. But the, the integrity of the sport can't be brought into debate. It can't be. I know we've had some ludicrous people in charge of FIFA. I know that FIFA hijacked the World Cup in the first place and made it the FIFA World Cup when it, in fact, wasn't theirs. And there's even FIFA law now. Yeah, and I know that looking at the sport is all about money because ultimately the reasons why America and Mexico have got the next World Cup is primarily because they put a budget down, which is they're going to generate $15 billion and FIFA have gone, thanks very much. Yeah, cheers, boys. Okay, licence to print money. But this one is wrong. The manner in which it's been put forward, the manner in which there's been collusion, the manner in which there's been misrepresentation, the timing of this World Cup, the fact that everything's had to be adjusted to fit a flawed concept in the first place because there's a big puddle of oil under that continent and a big pile of money which drives certain factions of football and ignores its responsibilities, I think is despicable. I think I can't put it in more strident terms. I think it's deplorable. It's interesting as well because we're having the argument there at a very high level about yeah. politics and football is the way football partially because it's such a high-profile activity, yep. is starting to be used, used for 
society and politics. Yeah. We've seen the example recently of Forest Green Rovers who are yeah. starting to press uh, forward and, and, and advertise the vegan lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen the way that issues are surrounding race and homophobia yeah. and other issues. Diversity. They are all being shot through the prism of football. Yeah. I have to say, in many ways, I've got no problem with that because many of these campaigns have been very, very good. I remember when there was a problem with race at Spurs back in the 70s and yeah. 80s. On the other hand, when I see players, whether voluntarily or otherwise, wearing rainbow laces to support gay and lesbian and LGBT, yeah. it seems to me that that's fine. That's great. It's, but it's a gesture because football exists in society and the problems with un, not, not accepting people is in society, not in football. Yeah, I mean, I, I think football is such a, an influencer that it can't help but be seen by people with, with an agenda to be a gateway or an opportunity. I have very conflicted emotions about it because obviously having been in the business of football and owned a football club, I understand the responsibility and influence and the opportunity that a vibrant and successful and affluent and aspirational football club can bring. And with it comes great responsibility. But what it isn't, it isn't the gateway for people's agendas. It isn't the gateway for politics. It isn't right that political agendas are highlighted by their manager and hijacked and used for that agenda. It isn't right that societal issues should be put through a prism that football isn't able to be able to balance because football is as flawed as any other aspect of society so it shouldn't be held to a higher standard or more to the point as an example for the rest of society to follow so I have very mixed emotions about it because at the heart of it is simply a game that people want to watch through choice and through emotivity and through investment of desire to be party to something but not as something that people can hijack. And I, Dan, I don't like agendas. There's too much of it going on in football. I will say one thing, Simon, and you've been inside football and yeah. indeed inside dressing rooms. I would be much more comfortable with the campaigns around gay and the rainbow laces and all the rest yeah. of that if one senior professional footballer was allowed to ply his trade while saying openly, I am gay. I mean, it's yeah. nuts, it's a, it? it's a cultural thing, Danny, and Rome wasn't built in a day, and I know that people will turn around and say that's a, an appropriate scenario, but we're talking about the culture of a sport that's still got to go through some changes in an industry that still has to mature. But I go back to my point, which is there are lots of people, whether it's diversity or politics, that are seeking to hijack certain aspects of sport for their own agenda and don't represent things as they really are. So whilst I'm all for sport being brought up as this shining beacon that you know, illuminates people's lives. You know, I often used to think at Palace that it was my responsibility, and I don't mean to be disparaging, but people have very every, everyday, average, humdrum lives, and it was our job to take them out of their humdrum, average lives, give them 90 minutes of belonging, sense of involvement, sense of investment, sense of you know, euphoria or, or misery, and then plonk them back into their average lives and pick them up again a week later and do the same thing again. But I do feel that there is different currencies pervading sport now that I really don't like, and I think some of them are quite sinister. But societal issues get put through an, an amplified prism in sport that I don't think are right. And football has got some, and all sports have got some way to go to be able to manage themselves as a shining example. I think part of what uh, you're saying there is that um, it's wrong to expect football or any sport to have higher codes of conduct than we do for the rest of society. Why is that? Absolutely Why, quite. Absolutely quite. right. Um, if I could change anything in football, I'd change two things. One, official, and one to do with the way crowds and 
football clubs interact. I would, uh, on a sort of serious and rather boring note, I would change the offside law. I can't bear this idea that people are in offside positions, in the old school, or in offside positions, and then people saying, but he's not in the phase of play or he's not interfering with play. There was a goal the other day between Ajax and Spurs in London. Their goal, Van Beek, was being played onside by Kieran Trippier. But Trippier himself was influenced by the position taken up by another Ajax player who was miles offside. And I just think, I would go back to the old rule here. Mm. If you're offside, you're offside, you're offside. But more importantly, Simon... I see for the first time football clubs now saying that because we all have mobile phones and access to that kind of technology, yeah. they're going to say, you can choose the man of the match. The fans who paid 70 quid, by the way, to mm. get into, can choose the man of the match. I'd go further, and I'm not joking now. Home crowd only, home team only each week. What's the average wage of a Premier League club for the first team squad? Let's call it, for the sake of argument, 7 million quid. But they may be getting less, I don't know. Mm-hmm. The chairman comes out onto the pitch at the end of the game with a wheelbarrow with seven million pounds in it in notes, right? And the rest of us with our mobile phones, goalkeeper, how did he do? Give him 2% of the pot. Man of the match, he was brilliant. Give him 60% of the pot. You were useless. Nothing this week. Mm -hmm. And I think that would enhance the relationship between owners like yourself, your supporters, and also would give the players a bit of a G up when they needed it. What do you reckon, Mr Chairman? I think that's great, Dan. I think that's a trip down uh, Amnesia Lane for the loons <laughs> around us. But no, I get I get the sentiments of it. But but I do I, I like the idea. I do think that digital interaction is part and parcel of sport now. And I do think that there is an element of, of fans becoming more involved in different ways in the sport because we're now talking about a generation that are consuming football in a completely different way than we did. And they've got the no tolerance for certain aspects of it. And watching football over social media and watching football over different digital platforms are key components of what people are going to help people are going to view this game and that's what's going on with the investment of thinking behind the game changes you look at some of the thinking that's going on it wasn't so long ago that the most cockamamie claptrap you hear from somebody who's supposed to be you know someone that you look up to Marco van Basten came out with the idea that we should just abolish the offside rule sure. get rid of it and that's somebody that played it at the highest level so you know I look at the involvement of the game and I think change sometimes for change sake is the wrong thing and I think we've fundamentally got most things right I'd like to see unwritten claptrap like players rolling around with supposed head injuries that are nothing to do with their head or leg injuries that people have got kick balls out as we saw yeah. in the Aston Villa Leeds debacle where people are taking the law into their own hands and thinking that they're above the game in terms of the players I'd like to see referees being more accountable. We spoke about this earlier on in this podcast. I think refereeing, whether we like it or we don't, we can't unring this bell now. Referees are an integral part of the game. With VAR, they're going to become even more front and centre. So I think they've absolutely got to be made accountable for the things that they do and the things that they say. And I think that should be in post-match interviews. That it should be a protocol that referees have to be able to explain their thinking. And the game should put some governance around how that is managed by the broadcast company so it doesn't bring the game into disrepute but I think those are the changes that I'd like to see rather than just you know looking at wholesale changes I know you've got a real bug up your backside about the ideals of the offside rule but I think on the whole we've got a better game for most of the changes that have been brought in, whether it's back pass rules or whatever else. Even the, the shaving thumb on the, the shaving pitch made a huge pitch, difference. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, so Simon Jordan, you don't want to follow up my idea of paying the players out of a wheelbarrow instead of pitch. I, I never tried thought, to be polite about I it. I never thought this day would come, Simon Jordan. <laughs> You've become a conservative. No, I don't think so, mate.
That's it for now. Thank you very much, Simon. My pleasure. Yeah, and thank you all for listening. Simon, I uh, feel like in the first episode we briefly touched on the business of football, but I think in our final episode of this Series 1 of the podcast, we should definitely delve a bit deeper into the murky world of business and football and the business of football. All right with you? Yeah, very much. I look forward to that one. Okay, what we could really do as well is for all of you amazing people listening to hit subscribe, whether it's through iTunes or any other platform, and please share it with your friends. I appreciate it's a bit of a pain to do that, but if you could leave a review as well, that would be really very much appreciated, and hopefully the powers that be will have us back for another season. Marathon Bet, Boot Room to the Boardroom and everything in between podcast, 18+, plus. be gamble aware.